Well, I invite you this morning to turn with me to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. And if you grabbed a worship folder, there are sermon notes in there. There's also some, um, there's also uh, on the app the same thing, the bulletin, all those different parts, and you're welcome to use that as well. Uh, I, I, this isn't in my little part, but I've been thinking about the craziness. I, I was uh, a, teaching a junior high history class. It's okay. It, junior high history is a funny thing. Um, but I was teaching this class when the planes crashed on 9-11. And internet was there, but not there, because all the websites for news companies went down. Couldn't handle the load as people were processing what just happened. As they processed trying to figure out what was true. I mean, there were rumors going all over the place. Nobody kind of could collect everything in the moment of what was going on. And the reason that I, I, I talk about that is that I can only imagine, as, as we conclude this series on Easter people, as we look at the stories around the people that were involved in the time and the event of the resurrection, those that encountered Christ in a very real way after they knew that he had been crucified and buried in the tomb, that some of them are trying to figure out what happened. They didn't have the benefit of the internet. All they had was sneaker net, or I guess it was sandal net at the time, as they passed along information. And today we're going to talk about the story of the two that were on the road to Emmaus that's found in, in verses 13 through 35. There's two guys, one named Cleopas, the other, we'll just call him George because he doesn't have a name that's given. So George and Cleopas um, are walking along. And they're not just walking. You know, you know how it is when, you, when, you, when you're just walking. You tend to talk. And, and, of course, they're talking about all that went on in the last three days. You see, the placement of this is we, we've been kind of jumping around in this story. But Jesus has, has been, you know, Mary and Martha came to the grave. They, they found the grave empty. They encountered the angels, and one, one story tells it that they encountered who they thought was a gardener, but it was Christ, and the ladies run back and tell, they preach the word of the resurrection of Christ. And the disciples take that in, and Peter and John have a foot race to, to the tomb. They encounter the angels, and they go back to the group. And this story takes place then or right after, between that time and when Jesus appears to the disciples in that room. And so these guys are just talking. They're walking back to Emmaus, and they're conversing back and forth, talking about all that's been going on, all that, that's happened in the last several days, what they thought of Jesus, who they thought he was, all these different parts, and they're just trying to figure it out. And they're working out all the events that just went down, and they're trying to figure out what happened, and they're dealing with a lot of emotions and a very real letdown of what they understood and expected 
Jesus to be. And the, the text says that their faces were downcast as Jesus asked them a question. They asked them, what are you talking? They don't realize it's Jesus. They just see this guy, and, and they ask him, he, Jesus asks them what they're talking about, huh? And they, and they sit there with this dumbfounded look on their face. I can kind of see it in my head of, how in the world do you not know? How in the world have you not figured it out? They, they, you know, we don't know how long they had been walking with Jesus. It's a seven-mile journey, so it's a good, good almost half-day walk for them that, that they're walking between Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they don't know, we don't know how long Jesus has, has walked and talked with them, but all of a sudden he talks, and Jesus enters into the situation, and he doesn't change the reality of the situation. What he enters in to do is to help them see it from a different perspective. And one of the truths that we can see within this passage is that the circumstances you face aren't nearly as important as the conclusions that you draw. I mean, think about it. I mean, the the problem wasn't what had happened, even as rough as it seemed. The problem was the conclusions that they had come to as a result. Jesus had given them the layout of what was going to happen. He had told them all, hey, these things are going to take place that you might believe. And and he's prepared them, but it all kind of went over their head and under their knees. They missed it. And so we see Jesus walking with them, listening And he knows that they're, they're, they're still in shock and they're grieving. And, we, he, and what we encounter in Jesus is, is a model for how to deal with people in grief. He's sitting there listening. Not, as far as we know, not saying anything at this point until he asks the question. And he asks, what are you talking about? And they say, well, they don't know who he is. He's just some random guy that's, that's eavesdropping. And so one of them goes, well, clearly you're not from around here. Because have you not heard? I mean, how in the world do you not know the news of what's going on in the past few days? And Jesus asks, what news? And, and, and they basically give him the Twitter version of the Easter story. And the Holy Week and all this different stuff of their assumptions and so he's walking with them, and, and he finally speaks into them, and he challenges their assumptions through understanding of Scripture. And the conclusion that they had already drawn in their minds that this was the end of the line, that with the death of Jesus, it was done. What they hoped for, what they thought, it was all done. And so they're headed to Emmaus because the party is over in Jerusalem. In verse 21, they use the past tense three different times in that one sentence. They say, we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
They thought the best days are behind them. They really thought Jesus had a lot of potential. I mean, they watched the miracles. They had heard the teaching. Too bad he died. All of this, and yet, they had been there when the reports from the women, Mary and Martha, or Mary and the other, Mary, and they, they run back in. And they had heard the reports. They, these women had preached to them. They said, hey, we, we encountered angels. The tomb was empty. We did this, this. You know, all this happened. He's not there. In fact, we were told he is alive. And they took in that information. And, and at the conclusion they came to is that, well, this is just idle tales that women tell. Don't beat me for that. But that's what they come to, this conclusion of, well, it's just stories. There's no body. We, you know, the, the men went and checked it out, and they didn't see a body. So, you know, we don't know what, you know, it's all over. Same information, different conclusion. In Jesus' response, he didn't tell them what the, that what they had experienced wasn't brutal. He didn't say that the circumstances weren't hard. Or that their emotions weren't valid, but the conclusion that you're coming to is wrong. These two are suffering under the weight of this conclusion that wasn't true. Yes, Jesus had died. But who told you that this is all past tense? Who told you that it was? He says, I I was, but... Really, newsflash, I still am. I'm still standing here. I did die, but now I'm alive. There, was more, there is more in front of you than there is behind. Your best days are still to come. Let, let's, let's come to different conclusions about the same circumstances. So their assumptions were challenged. They needed to start thinking correctly because wrong thinking will always lead to wrong living. Inaccurate information leads to unnecessary fear. Once they began to see things correctly, their, their eyes and their lives were opened up. It's so important for us to realize the power that you have in taking in the information in what we come to as far as a conclusion. It's been said that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% of how I react. You can't always control what happens. That's the 10%. But the 90% is that I'm, whatever happens, I kneel before God and say God gives and God takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. So whatever the situation, we, we, we can choose how we respond in faith and we respond in worship. And, and when he helped them to see the same situation differently, their eyes were opened up to the possibilities. They had potential that was unlocked by perspective. So much so that what, you know, when Jesus was 
going to head on past Emmaus. They said, no, it's too dangerous to go out in the dark. It's too dangerous to continue walking. So just come into the house. And it says that he broke the bread and their eyes were opened up to who they had encountered. And what do they do? They leave the house in the middle of the dark and leave and head seven miles back to Jerusalem to the disciples. They had encountered Christ. Their eyes had been opened. Their hearts had been opened. Their minds had been opened. Which leads us to the second takeaway for us this morning is that we need to be a people that invites Scripture to inform and transform us. They had misunderstood the mission of the Messiah. They had been reading Scripture in a way that assumed which never goes well. They assumed he was going to redeem Israel in a way that meant freedom from a foreign power. They assumed that Jesus was on a political campaign. They assumed that all the prophecies that are still in the future to us about Revelation and in his return and the lion laying down with the lamb and all the beautiful things of the kingdom being established, they assumed those things were going to be established without Christ dying. But then he died. They had been ignoring the fact that from the Old Testament, from from all of it, Scripture had pointed to a Messiah who was going to redeem Israel by death. So the very thing that they thought stopped Jesus from redeeming Israel was in fact the one thing that was necessary in order to redeem Israel. They wanted the power, but not the cross. They wanted to see him on the throne without him ever having to wear the crown of thorns. They wanted the blessings of what would it look like without a broken Messiah. But these things are not possible because sin was still at play. And Jesus points out that he had to die to redeem all of us. From our sin. Not just Israel. All of creation. And Jesus points out that he had to die and he had to go to the cross in order for him to wear the crown of, as king and victor of a people who had been redeemed out of every tribe, nation, and people and tongue. They had been reading scripture for the things that would benefit their lives and how they could participate in that blessing without understanding that there was a cost that had to be paid. So as we read Scripture, it's awfully tempting to to read it in a way that we're looking primarily for ten ways to be a better husband or four ways to a better manager of your money or principles on wisdom or, or some parenting tips. And although these are all beneficial things, that's not why we have Scripture. When we look at Scripture, we're to read it as God saying, here's what my Son is going to do for you. Here's what I am going to provide, I am going to do. 
It's not about what we can do. It's about what he has already done and will continue to do. It's not about the work that gets us righteousness. It's about the work that Jesus did as he hung on the cross and then was raised from the grave. And when we see scripture that way, Jesus says that all of it testifies to him. And so now you get to walk in peace and you get to walk in the power and the hope of the gospel because it's not up to you. Your choice is how do you live with that information? What's the conclusion that you're going to come to? It's up to Jesus who already paid for the price of your and my sin. And and that you don't get to think, well, if I just behave in a certain way, I'll be saved. You think, I believe and I receive, and as a result, the works that I do, the way that I live, then flow out of me because he has healed me from the problem of my sin. Jesus didn't come to make your life better. Jesus came to save your soul. And fortunately for us, life is a lot better when we live into the power of the resurrection and what has worked on the inside then gets to flow out of us onto the outside for others to encounter the living Christ. So as we read Scripture, we, we, we look at how God works and what He's done and how that life can then flow outside of us every single day. And when we read it properly, what we realize is that he's, His coming up out of the tomb has everyday implications. Just as dying on the cross was paying for the price of our sin, His right, being risen from the dead was securing and giving us resurrection power that we can tap into in our lives. Because here's the big thing. Easter isn't a holiday It's an identity. Let me say that again. Easter isn't a holiday. It's an identity. It's not a once a year event on the calendar. It's an everyday reality. And the reality of Easter should continue to inform everything that we do in life. We are Easter people. We are people of the resurrection And hallelujah is our song. We are meant to not look back on Easter and go, well, that was cool. I'm inspired. It's not, thanks God. It's, thank you, God, for doing what I couldn't do for myself. We're meant to be living in the midst of the power of the resurrection today. We're meant to be preaching in the power of the resurrection today. We're meant to be parenting in the power of the resurrection. We have all been filled with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. We are more than conquerors. Our best days are in front of us. It's not too easy to keep on moving when we know that it's not a time to give up don't be leaving jerusalem headed for emmaus saying well that was cool the point is that nothing gets in the way of god's plan god isn't negotiating 
He's already won. God is up to something. The story of the Bible begins with creation. And if you read it through, it ends with his understanding of rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever again for all eternity. And if you haven't noticed, if you've had a chance to look around, we ain't there yet. That means that it's not the end. We have His power in us to change into our future filled with peace. And we charge into that future with His peace and with His hope that gives us power that unlocks potential and that hopes for God's plan to be made real in and through us. We're not going to give up on Saturday because we're scared by the trauma of Friday. We're going to stand on the power of the resurrection and we're going to let that bleed into Monday. And we spill into our Tuesday and it cascades into our Wednesday. And on, it's going to be a tidal wave on Thursday. And it gives us phenomenal power on Friday. And on Saturday, we rejoice in what has been done. You see, the problem is we tend to approach Easter and view Easter as an end and not a beginning. We read scripture and we look at it chronologically and we build tradition and we begin to, to form a countdown. And the problem is we have the countdown wrong. Whether you start on Ash Wednesday or, Holy, or Palm Sunday in our minds that springs forward into this Easter countdown and it's, whether it's 46 days or, or one holy week, we think, all right, Easter's coming, Sunday's coming. We almost see this as a 10, 9, 8. And we do it with our family. We do it in our church. We, on this day, Jesus prayed with his disciples. On this day, he rode a donkey. On this day, Judas betrayed him. And then we get to Easter, and it's like, all right, well, that was good. We had our ham, our potatoes, took a good nap. Woo! And so we then pick up all the decorations, and we store away the Easter egg kit and the baskets with the green grass, and it gets stored next to the Christmas box in the storage or, or garage area. And we see Easter as the ending of something instead of what it actually is. It's the beginning of something. Jesus was risen on the first day of the week. It's a sign of a new start. Easter's not a holiday, it's our identity. And when we really get that, when we really come to grips with that, not just in our head, but it wakes its way down into our heart and into our lives, joy gets released into the world. You see, joy is the result of comprehending the re resurrection as your identity. It's not just a day on a calendar. It's, it's, it's an ever-present reality that Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. If you understand that, then you walk in joy. And I, and I feel like there's one word that we need to catch into lately. It's joy. It should be noticeable in our lives. It should be noticeable when you're living within the resurrection power, enabled, and when you walk in joy because you've been given a joy that the world can't take away. 
because the world didn't give it to you. You can take all the things that this world holds as valuable. You can take the money. You can take the cars. You can take the houses. You can take all those different things. But guess what? The world didn't give me my joy, so it can't take away my joy. My joy comes from Jesus. God wants me to and, and you to exhibit that joy. He wants us to show the world what true joy looks like. Joy that the world can't take away because it didn't give it to us. It's found unleashed in a life that's been given something that can never be taken away. It's resurrection power. That kind of joy, the kind of joy that shines in a pandemic, the kind of joy that sparkles in a cemetery, the kind of joy that is exhibited in the midst of emergencies, that joy is ours. Our joy to the world, our joy in losing, our joy in dying, our joy in sickness and health and blessing and cursing, no matter what kind of situation that either blesses us or rocks our world, no matter what's given to us. We're taken away. We can still have joy. Joy is not a privilege, it's a responsibility. It's ours to behold. We can enjoy the blessings, but we're not defined by them. Blessings are easy to take advantage of. The blessedness of being broken is that it gives us a chance for those that are in the waiting, watching, and worrying world around us to see what it truly looks like to suffer with the King of Kings in our hearts. You've lost nothing. You've gained everything in Christ. Jesus says, I've already paid it, a wa- paid it all. Now walk in joy. You're opened up to a life of joy. You've tried to do the good things, and you've tried to be kind, and you're nice and noble, and maybe you've given uh, you know, out of yourself to the poor. Maybe you're seeing all this as something that you need to do as opposed to something that Jesus has done and released you into. The reality of it is the resurrection of Jesus from, uh, from the dead has been called one of the greatest attested facts in all of history. There was eyewitness accounts who did see him. And while we can't see and touch the nail prints in his hands, we can see the impact, the imprint left on those who did get to see, and the joy that walked in for the rest of their lives. You read the book of Acts. These men and these women were not afraid of whatever the world could throw at them because they knew the resurrection power. Wayne, will t- uh, Wayne shared that w- that was one of the convincing things for him is the stories of the men and women in Acts. That they could go headlong into everything that they encountered, that the world could throw at them, and they wouldn't deviate because they knew the truth of the resurrection. You see, Peter, who was willing at one point to lie so that he would not be 
accused and put to death with Jesus. And so he denied him three times. And now, through the rest of the story, he is fearlessly heading to his death where he's crucified upside down and willing to rejoice all the way to the grave. And when we believe, when we put our trust and our hope and our full understanding that that Christ has paid for it all, that the power of the resurrection is real, even when we haven't seen it, we can have joy because 1 Peter 1.8 tells us that we are given ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime, and immersed in glory. And when we believe in him who did, we did not see, and we believe in him nonetheless, so today we have an invitation to a life of joy. That you and I all have a choice of where we put our faith. I read a while back, and I had to, to process it. It takes faith to not believe, and it takes faith to believe. But I think it honestly takes more faith not to believe. Where is your faith? Where do you put your hope? What, how are you living out of that? But if, if you invite Jesus into your heart, maybe you have or maybe you're still processing what that looks like as we, as we live into the authority of God's words, I want you to know that, and I can tell you for certain, that your sins have been forgiven The gift is there. It's your opportunity to receive that. And it's your your opportunity as a result that as you live into that hope of eternity that only can come through Jesus Christ, it's your opportunity to receive that joy that the world cannot take away. It's your opportunity to take on that peace that can only come from presence of God. And that as we live into that, as your life and my life come together, the testimony of a risen Savior continues. Because we know where we're going to spend eternity. And that's far more important than where we spend just now. Because today is just the blink of an eye. Eternity Well, it's forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. Here and now, God, speak to our hearts. Help us to live into the joy that only you can give one that the world can't take away. Help us to live into the power of the resurrection, that Easter is not just a day on the calendar. It is the reality of our world because we know that you have been risen from the grave, that your power in the Holy Spirit speaks and moves through us. And as we look toward eternity, that we have a hope and a peace that cannot come from this world. It can't be caught. 
in, in things of material. It can't be bought. It can't be earned because it's already been freely given. If there be anybody here today, may they receive that message. That they accept you for who you are. They accept the fact that they are a sinner and can be saved by grace. May they believe in the work of the cross and the work of the grave. That you are risen. You are not here. That you are alive and well and given us hope. In your name we pray. Amen.